0: All right, thanks, Hannah, and welcome, everybody. It is great to have you here. Uh, I know we've told you that probably 15 times already, but we actually do mean it. Uh, So wherever you are joining us, on whatever platform you're with us, um, whether it's the church website or on YouTube or on Facebook or on Twitch or on Periscope, wherever it is that you're watching, we're glad that you're watching, and we're glad to just have this time where we can be together even though we are apart. So. Uh, I'm so encouraged. I hope you are. Just when I see all the different folks that contribute to the service, you know, from Kissy to Jericho to the Avilas to uh, Hannah, of course, with her great job on announcements, um, and I especially encouraged this morning just by Pastor Mike and just uh, his thoughts uh, just around what it is that we're to be doing uh, during this time, uh, you know, in in our country. Certainly, uh, certainly praying. And I'm just reminded, uh, just of a little bit, uh, perhaps a lesson from anatomy. That remember, God gave us two ears, one mouth, and we need to use them proportionately. So now's the time for listening, and uh, and for prayer, and uh, and just really to look for opportunities to to speak the peace of God and to speak the gospel into the things that we see um, happening around us. Just a quick update for you guys. On uh, the reopening of the church or the restarting of uh, meeting in person or whatever we want to call it. Um, certainly we're, we're rejoicing with a lot of the other states and counties that are opening back up. And yet it's just not our time yet. So we continue to watch and we continue to be encouraged by the different sectors of, uh, of the economy or, or uh, s- sectors that are opening here in Santa Clara County. Uh, It's all steps in the right direction and our time uh, as a church will come where we'll be able to gather together again. And for some of you, I just want to say right now, I know for some of you that may even produce a little bit of anxiety because you're feeling maybe like you're not uh, quite ready to uh, to come and to be out in public again. And we want to tell you right now uh, that we're that's fine and we understand that uh, and we've been working hard and I'm super thrilled to announce that. Uh, We have uh, managed to get uh, internet service installed there at the church building so that when we are able to resume uh, our services uh, in person, we will also be able to continue to make sure that they're streamed uh, as they happen. So for those of you who feel more comfortable for a while staying at home, uh, the services will continue to be streamed and be available and uh, and we really just want to welcome and embrace all of you who are watching us online and may be living elsewhere. Uh, we value you and we consider you part of our church family here, even though you may be uh, far away. So um, with that, I'll say one more quick thing. Um, I know each week uh, we ask that if you have a need that you would reach out to us and let us know. And I want to thank you for those who have reached out for prayer. Uh, or who have reached out uh, for practical needs. But I want to let you know about a need that I have this week that maybe you can help me with. Um, I would personally love to hear from you guys. Uh, If you uh, are so inclined, if you have an extra minute today or this week, um, shoot me a quick email, bill at ccmv.org. Um, and I would just love to hear how you're holding up, how it is that I can be praying for you specifically. I know I've had the opportunity to exchange some emails and and to connect with some of you, uh, but I would just love it if you would let me know how I can be praying for you and how we as a ministry team here at Calvary Chapel Mountain View uh, can best be serving you during this time. So that's your challenge for this week. Uh, Shoot me an email, bill at CCMV. Don't do it uh, during the message because it'll just vibrate and just confuse me. And so anyway, do it afterward, but I would love to hear from you. So with all of that said, uh, turn this morning to Acts chapter 15. We're going to finish up uh, that chapter this morning. We're going to look at verses 36 through 41 and of course we've been in Acts chapter 15 for the last couple of weeks. It is uh, such an important chapter of course because it uh, it really defines for us once and for all and really for the first time in the history of the early church that important relationship between law and grace. And you remember there was that fierce doctrinal dispute which resulted in the first church council right the jerusalem council where we saw those church leaders and it said all of the apostles and the elders all gathered together and they were discussing and they were debating about this critical conflict of faith and you remember that luke told us that there was much dispute over this question we see all of these men who were each so Passionate for their personal perspective, but they got together and they sought the Lord together to find out what his heart was on this issue. And we watched amazingly, we watched as the Spirit really spoke into the confusion and brought about really a sense of clarity on this very important doctrinal disagreement. Now, as, as we finish up the chapter this morning, we're going to find that Acts chapter 15 is the record, really, of two different disagreements, both that occurred during those early years within the early church. And the first one, of course, we said was doctrinal. But the second one, which we're going to look at this morning, was personal. It was a personal disagreement that involved two very mature very godly Christians and as a result I think that Acts chapter 15 is one of those chapters that really provides us with a tremendous amount of instruction because the truth is that conflicts and even deep disagreements between even the most mature Christians in both Christian life as well as in Christian service those things are going to occur and they occur on both of those levels within the body of christ and so this chapter i think really gives us a a great understanding and really i think this morning we're going to see it provides us with a different perspective on how we can look and how we can judge these kinds of deep disagreements so let's pray and let's really ask the lord to minister to us this morning uh, through his word so father we do thank you for today lord and we thank you for another opportunity to be together lord and most importantly we thank you for an opportunity to uh to dive in lord to dig into your word and to be ministered to lord by your spirit we pray that he would be our teacher this morning lord that you would give us ears to hear what uh, what he would say to your church lord uh, collectively corporately lord as well as uh personally lord and individually and we thank you uh, Lord we we dedicate this time unto you and we set it aside in Jesus name amen amen so remember When we last left off last time, we saw Paul and Barnabas had returned from Jerusalem back up to Antioch, and they carried with them that letter which kind of held the consensus of the council there at Jerusalem on this issue of the Gentiles and the the law of Moses. And with it, remember, that letter contained some wisdom and some insights and some advice that the council wanted to provide to those new Gentile Christians there in that region of the different ways that they could show some extra sensitivity to and the way that they could really live peaceably with their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters as they were mingling there in those close Quarters, And we saw the way that the believers there in Antioch it said that they were greatly encouraged by the letter. And we finished out the chapter as the church was unified. And the church we saw was in another season where it was just thriving as a result of that unity. And then we read in verse 36, so picking up in our text today, verse 36 of Acts chapter 15, it says that then after some days... Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So the Apostle Paul, he was a pioneer in evangelism. We've seen that he has this heart to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in places where there was no Christian community, and certainly there was not even a Christian witness. And yet what we see here is that he also understood the importance of strengthening and of encouraging those who had already become Christians. I love the way that one author put it. I read this week, he said that Paul had the heart of both an obstetrician, in that he would bring people into the body of Christ, and of a pediatrician in the way that he would grow people up in the body of Christ. And so it was this kind of pediatrician pastoral heart that Paul had that was motivating him to want to go back, not necessarily for evangelism, but for edification, just to strengthen and to encourage those who had trusted in Jesus on that first journey. Now, we know now that this was really the start of what would be his second missionary journey. It would last for about the next three years. It's going to fill up our time from about here in Acts chapter 15 through most all of Acts chapter 18. It was a journey that started in Antioch and it strengthening those churches in Syria and Cilicia, then revisited those very same churches in the regions of Derbe and Lystra and Iconium and Pisidian Antioch before we're going to see him go to Troas and then up into Philippi and on to Thessalonica and then Berea and then to Athens and to Corinth, where he'd spend about a year and a half before traveling up to Jerusalem by way of Ephesus, and then finally again back to Antioch. It's a significant trip for the advancing of the gospel we're going to see because it it started to impact not just that region there in Asia Minor, but this is where the gospel really begins to press fully into Europe, And so we are in for a wild ride in these next few chapters but it all starts right here. It all starts here with his heart for those baby believers that they had left in those first cities. It had probably at this point been anywhere from about two to maybe even as much as five years since that first journey. And what we remember about that journey is that for the most part, each of those new churches that had been established had been established in cities and in these environments that were really hostile to the message of the gospel. So there was this very serious threat of persecution for all of these cities that Paul and Barnabas had left behind for these churches that had been established in those places. And so Paul's desire here to return to these churches shows very powerfully the heart that Paul had, not just as an evangelist, but as a shepherd. Especially when we consider the things that he had faced the first time that he was in each of these particular places. We saw that it was virtually continual Persecution in most every one of these cities. Remember, in one of them they were expelled. In another one, there was this violent attempt to stone them. The next city, Paul actually was stoned and left for dead, dragged outside the outskirts of the city. And yet, Paul, at this point in time, we see that it's because of his love and his concern and his interest in the well being of these new Christians, all of that would dwarf any thought of his own self-preservation so we see there's an awful lot that's wrapped up in those four simple little words he says there in verse 36 where he says they should go back and visit because more accurately what paul probably should have said is hey let's risk our lives again right let's at our own peril and to our own harm let's go check in on these people that we are carrying so heavily on our hearts. There was this God-given burden that Paul simply couldn't escape. And what we see is that Paul and Barnabas both were of the same mind about the importance of taking this trip. But as we read on, we're about to watch and see that they're about to clash about some of the details of the trip and specifically the the makeup of the team that would minister on the trip. Look what it says in verse 37. It says, Now uh, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So this surely wasn't the first time we, we assume that Paul and Barnabas had disagreed about some sort of a ministry decision, but we're going to see that this may have certainly been the most significant. And it was significant because as we consider the details, what we realize is that this wasn't just personal, that this was a matter of principle. Really, it was actually a clash of biblical principles. Remember, when we look together at the start of the first missionary journey back in chapter 13, remember John Mark, who was also happened to be Barnabas's nephew, remember he had started out on the trip with Paul and Barnabas. And Luke told us in Acts 13.5 that as they set out, it said they, had, they also had John Mark as their assistant. And that's important. And the the idea here is John Mark wasn't just going along as an observer. He wasn't just going along on some sort of a sightseeing trip, but he had an important role to fill. And that word assistant there that Luke used is more literally translated under rower." And we've looked at this before and the idea of those big Roman galley ships and you had a, you know, a row of rowers, if you would, on the top deck. But then you had this row of rowers that rowed down below, right underneath the deck, both of them slaves, right? Each of them servants. And if you had a choice, certainly you'd rather be up In the fresh air of the upper deck, and yet the under rowers were this crucial force that just kept the ship moving and here John Mark's position on that first trip is described here as being like that of an under rower right taking that lowest position as a servant really he was there to serve the servants. Right, to do all of that nitty-gritty kind of stuff, probably had responsibilities for so many of the physical needs that would be involved in a journey like this that covered hundreds and hundreds of miles, probably made all the arrangements for the lodging and for the food and all of those kinds of details. Whatever it was that was needed on a physical level so that Paul and Barnabas could do on a spiritual level the things that God had called them to do. So John Mark had been brought along to fulfill this tremendous responsibility to Paul and Barnabas and really carry a significant load on the team until he left them suddenly. Just as this journey was really getting going. Now the scriptures, we said, they don't tell us why he left, just that he left. And yet the language... In that original account of him leaving, it gives us the sense, because the Greek word that's used there to describe Mark departing sort of intimates that he very decisively departed. He split away from Paul and Barnabas, and it carries the idea, it kind of communicates that there was a lack of concern for what it was that he was doing. Like he was leaving Paul and Barnabas, and he didn't really care about the consequences that Paul and Barnabas would have to bear as a result of what he was doing. And we know that there were consequences. Because notice specifically how Paul points out here, not only that John Mark left, but notice he points out specifically when he had done it. He referred to him as the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia. So it wasn't that he had departed somewhere randomly in Asia Minor or somewhere along their missionary journey, but rather that he had abandoned them there in Pamphylia. Now, remember, do you remember when we looked at chapter 13? Remember when we saw that Paul and Barnabas had come to that coastal city of Perga there in that province of Pamphylia? We noted that there was no mention that either Paul or Barnabas had done any preaching of the gospel there in that city. And instead, curiously, the narrative kind of took them moving quickly up out of that region and directly up into that area of Antioch, Pisidia. And remember, we talked about the fact that it was likely to have occurred because of Paul perhaps contracting malaria. Malaria, complete with everything that went with it, with these headaches that the ancient authors described as having a red hot bar thrust through the forehead. Or maybe today we'd say it would be like a dentist's drill boring through the side of your head. And remember, according to Roman history, we've talked about the fact that that low lying sea level area there where Perga was, it was a hotbed for recurring waves of malaria so many people including Paul and Barnabas probably made their way out of Perga and up to Antioch Pisidia up there at that higher elevation of about 3600 feet above sea level in order to escape all that and here really to give Paul the chance to kind of shake off and to uh, to really recover from that sickness and the point of all of this is that this would have been precisely the point at which Paul and Barnabas would have needed John Mark the most. Here's Paul literally laying there on some sort of a sickbed, completely debilitated, dependent upon the care of others, and this is right when John Mark chose to abandon them. So it's very real to say that this would have been the ultimate Expression of an act of unfaithfulness here in the ministry. And he wasn't just abandoning Paul personally, but in Paul's mind, he was putting in jeopardy the entirety of the rest of this first missionary journey. We think about all of the rest of the difficulties that we've read that Paul and Barnabas would have to endure, and now they would need to endure all that and to weather all that alone with no support at all. And so when we read and we remember and we understand that, now we better understand why it was that Paul insisted that John Mark not be included. This was a matter for Paul of principle. He just didn't consider this to be a wise choice it wasn't a good idea and so he strongly it says he insisted or he resisted this idea because in his mind when push comes to shove and when the going gets tough and of course we know that the going always gets super hard it always gets tough at some point as we're serving the Lord but in essence Paul is declaring that John Mark just can't be trusted he can't be trusted to stand. He can't be trusted to kind of hold his place there in the line or to hold his flank right in this spiritual warfare in the midst of the battle. right? In Paul's assessment, John Mark lacked this key trait that's to be trusted in Christian ministry. He lacked dependability and he lacked reliability. And in biblical terms, what he lacked was faithfulness. Right, So for John Mark to have abandoned Paul and Barnabas, what he was really doing was walking out on the most important work that was going on in the world at that time, and that was the carrying out of the Great Commission. And as a result, he was really putting in jeopardy the continuation successfully of that work this wasn't sort of like he backed out on helping a buddy move a couch on a saturday afternoon this was a really big deal and that's the way paul saw it paul was concerned with this principle of faithfulness in the ministry and that is an important scriptural principle now barnabas on the other hand luke tells us was determined to give john mark a second chance Because concerning Barnabas' principles, it was his conviction that you just don't give up on anyone because they had failed at some point in the course of their Christian service. He always emphasized and he encouraged people with the fact that God is the God of second chances. And aren't we glad? Amen? Of course, we remember Paul himself, ironically, had been the recipient of Barnabas's grace, right, of his encouragement. Remember, it was Barnabas when Paul first, after he had given his life to Jesus there on the road to Damascus, when Paul first arrived at Jerusalem, remember, nobody wanted to touch him with a 10-foot pole. And then later, it was Barnabas who chose to believe the best about Paul when nobody could believe there even was the best about Paul to be believed. And he did that at a time when Paul so desperately needed it. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time I think of Barnabas as kind of this easygoing, kind of laid-back kind of a guy. But we see here, when it was a matter of his principles that he was just as resolved and just as determined as Paul was. Literally what it says there is that he kept insisting that they take John Mark along because this is an important scriptural principle. And so reading this at this point, in this situation, it seems like we, we have sort of what that old paradox describes when an unstoppable force, force meets an immovable object and we know there's going to be a crash there's going to be a clash both of these men standing so strong in their own principles their own biblical convictions so much so that look what it says just at the beginning of verse 39 it says then the contention became sharp right this discussion quickly turned into an argument And that Greek word there for contention, it has the idea that the things that were going on, this conversation that was going on between Paul and Barnabas, was very strong. It became heated. It became very emotional, but not necessarily in any kind of a carnal way, but in the sense that each one of them was holding fast to their strong convictions. And they were holding fast very, very deeply and very, very fiercely. There was probably a sense of exasperation for both of these men that they couldn't get the other one to see things their way. Because both of these deeply held principles, their opposite positions, remember they were both fully supported by the scriptures. They were both, these opposite principles were expressions also of each man's God-given personality. And I don't mean personality in in a carnal sense, but personality in a very sanctified sense of the way that God had uniquely wired each of these individuals. So it's a clash of God-given personalities. Again, Barnabas, we know, both on the basis of his principles and his personality, he's an encourager right his very name speaks of it it declares that he's the son of encouragement or the son of consolation so by personality he's the kind of man who's quick with a word of encouragement to give to someone else it just pours out of him he's quick to come alongside somebody who's hurting and try to you know lift them up and then dust them off and then get them back into the fight and everything that we see about Barnabas here in this passage is perfectly in line with these virtues that we find in the scriptures, right? Both in terms of his principles and in terms of his godly personality. Now, Paul, on the other hand, by personality, we know he's a very strong man. He's a focused man. He's a determined man. He is not a handholder. We just don't see that anywhere in any of the passages of the Bible. He's filled with grace And yet filled with exhortation to stand and to walk in that grace. And so concerning his principles, he had this deep concern for the work of God and for the fact that it always be done well. And when we think about the sobriety and the awe with which the Apostle Paul approached the work of the Lord, it was impossible. It's unmatched. I think, the way that the Apostle Paul looked at this. In his mind, no work of God, right? no work that involved the eternal destiny of the souls of men and women, no work like that should ever be risked by putting it into the hands of unfaithful people. And we know this continued right up to the very end of his life. Even when his martyrdom was right around the corner, he still held on to this same deep conviction. In his second letter to Timothy, he said that the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so faithfulness in the servant of God simply was a non-negotiable for the Apostle Paul. Before any spiritual authority would be given, before any spiritual responsibility could be entrusted. So as we think about these two brothers, as we think about Paul and Barnabas, I love what someone has rightly said. He said, Paul looked at people and he asked, what can they do for God's work? While Barnabas looked at people and asked, what can God's work do for them? So what can they do for God's work? That's one personality based on one principle. But what can they, God's work do for them? Well, that's a different personality based on a different principle. And so here the situation is we have these two dedicated godly mature men the very same men who had helped bring unity to the church and yet they were at an impasse on this issue so much so that look at the rest of verse 39 it said the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another and so barnabas took mark and sailed to cyprus but paul chose silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of god they just couldn't come to an agreement. So they ended up actually splitting up. Right, Ten years of deep friendship. Six years as co-laborers together in the ministry. And so the question that we ask, right? We want to know why this happened. Whose fault was this? Which one of these men was in sin in this situation? But that honestly... I believe, is a mistake, to ask that question. So often I think it's so easy on the part of us as people to look at an incident like this, to look at something that happens like we see here in Acts chapter 15, and we somehow take on this critical view. We start to think less of a Paul or less of a Barnabas because of their initial strong contention or because of their ultimate separation. Or we look at an incident like this and we start to judgmentally wonder why couldn't such spiritually mature men simply put aside their differences here and simply work things out. And yet I truly believe that to judge it in that way is an overly simplistic approach, and it's a great mistake for us. And unfortunately, I think it's a mistake that gets repeated over and over by people today. People tend to judge these kinds of situations, these kinds of divisions, when we see them amongst God's people or God's leaders. What I think is important for us to understand here is that what is really going on here really has nothing to do with John Mark specifically, nothing at all. But what is really in play here are two very powerful forces within both Paul and Barnabas, and that is their God-given principles and their God-given personalities. Both of each, as we've seen, are fully in line with what we find in the scriptures. We could even say that Paul was right, I think, about the work, but Barnabas was right about the person. And the fact is, I think what's important for us to remember, is that it takes both kinds of people in the body of Christ to advance God's kingdom, each of them in their own place. And sometimes these different kinds of people are just not going to see eye to eye on every issue, even though we know that we're all on the same side. That's why Paul would write to the Corinthians that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. And so I really want us to realize this morning that what is going on here between Paul and Barnabas, I don't believe, has anything at all to do with sin. Most divisions do. Most divisions do occur because of sin, but not this one. That's a completely different sermon for a completely different day on a completely different text. But that's not, I don't think, what we're talking about here in this text. I just don't see that the scriptures give us any evidence that one or both of these men was acting sinfully the difference between these two giants of the faith these differences were not rooted in pride or in personal ambition or even in offended feelings what these differences were rooted in was very different spiritual giftings different perspective different calling different preparation right different principles and different personalities And I think that we can head down a pretty dangerous road, right, which so many I think are quick to do. And that is to judge and to condemn another person's biblical convictions or another person's biblical principles or their God-given personalities. And what I mean by that is that so often we can look at another servant of the Lord or maybe a leader, right, in God's church, and we can judge them. Because we somehow conclude that if only they didn't emphasize such and such so much, or maybe if they did emphasize such and such a little more, that they would be better, right? That their ministries would be more effective. Or maybe if their personality was a little more of this and a little less of that, or vice versa, that then their witness would be more powerful, that they would be more fruitful. But I truly believe after being a pastor for more than a few years, I think more often than not, all of our wise observations, our suggestions, our helpful thoughts about how we think we could improve on God's other servants, I think those things would do far more harm than good if God actually granted our wishes. Think about this. We certainly wouldn't want to change the Apostle Paul's principled convictions or his God-given personality because it was these firmly held convictions and it was this God-given personality that we are going to see is going to, is what's going to see him through and allow him to blaze a trail for the gospel and to endure all of these hardships that he does in the course Of these three missionary journeys so that the gospel would eventually reach right into each and every one of our lives today. We would not want to change that in Paul. It would be equally disastrous, I think, to change the convictions or to try to change this sanctified personality of Barnabas. Because those are the very things that made his life so fruitful for the kingdom of God of well. Those were the very things that gave Paul his start in the ministry. And that's why Paul would later write to the Romans, he says, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And so it's, it's not just with pastors or leaders, but it's for all of us as Christian workers serving in the world today. So often the very thing that we think in our minds that we would change in someone else's life, if that were to happen, it would make it impossible for them to thrive or really to survive in their specific calling. So we each need to be strong in our own biblical principles. We need to be very strong in our own sanctified personalities so that we can thrive and we can survive in that very specific and that unique Christian ministry environment that the Lord has placed us in. We are not all Paul. We are not all Barnabas. right? What we are all is we are all his workmanship, Paul says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember, God has prepared the works, and he's also prepared the workers for those works. He's prepared each of us uniquely. He's prepared each of us specifically, both in our principles and in our personalities. Now, we will often hear a teaching on this passage and sometimes we'll hear that Paul was wrong in the way that he was so firm here and that ultimately over time we see that Paul grew and that he matured and that later he repented of this and they use the the fact that he was later reconciled with John Mark to try to prove that position. Again, I think that this is a simplistic handling of the passage. Of course, it is true that later in Paul's life, he did have a reconciliation with John Mark. He talks about it when he writes to Timothy again in Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul says that only Luke is with me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. So reconciliation does indeed occur but not because Paul had been wrong here in Acts 15. I'm inclined to believe, more likely that it was John Mark who grew mightily over those years, grew in his faithfulness, in his spiritual maturity, as he served under his uncle Barnabas, and then that Paul later in life recognized that growth and was reconciled with him. I think it's very true Another observation made on this passage that Paul's decision was the right decision at the time, but not for all time. Right? How many decisions do we make in our lives that we know are the right decision at the time, but they may not necessarily be the right decision for the rest of time because things change, right? And because people change ultimately, we know that John Mark first ministered there with Barnabas, then served under the apostle Peter, and that when he was introduced again to Paul, he was likely a completely different man. And of course, it's this very same John Mark, who then later in life would be used by the Holy Spirit to author the second of our Gospels. So we need to trust that the Lord is capable of moving his servants around so that they're best positioned, not only for the benefit of the ministry, but really for the benefit of the servant and their growth in the ministry. Look what we read at the end of verse 39. Said, again, Barnabas took Mark, sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. So Barnabas was right. He was the right man for Mark. But I think Silas was the right man for Paul. Each at this, this specific point in their ministries. What we'll see is that Silas has been come, is going to become a very important part of Paul's ministry team he was one of, it said there, that he's one of the leading men among the brethren. We know that he was a prophet. Acts 16 tells us that he was a Roman citizen. right? We know that he likely spoke Greek. And in all these things, he was perfectly positioned to be the support for Paul and to co-labor with him as that ministry pressed into Europe, which may not have even been in Paul's mind at that point, but we know that they were in the mind of God. And it's ironic, isn't it, that Silas was probably even better positioned, he was better equipped personally to support Paul than would have a a Jew from Cyprus like Barnabas been, or his Jewish nephew John Mark, who was from Jerusalem. Silas was the perfect co-laborer as the gospel would press in to Europe in this next phase. Don't we love the way that God can do that don't we love the fact that we can trust that God knows what he's doing and of course we we can't leave this passage without just quickly observing the greatest lesson of all that's here is that ultimately God can bring multiplication even out of division here in this situation where good and godly people contending with one another right even separating as long as it's on the basis of these sincerely held biblical principles and these separated on the the basis of these God-given differences in, in personality, in those cases, we can count on the fact that God can overwhelm the whole thing and that he will work it all together, what? For good. Right? That all things Uh, That God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So in the end of all of this contention and separation, God does exactly that. And he actually now ends up with two different missionary teams and two different missionary journeys, both of which he blessed. So when we look at situations like this, we can never underestimate the grace of God and the, the ways of God and the wisdom of God, which is always at work in situations just like this. We should think of this separation of Paul and Barnabas as a cooperative action, not as a competitive one. Right? The more work was accomplished. And we see this very prominent and very important theme that's developing here and emerging in the book of Acts. And that's that theme of the reality of unity in the midst of diversity within the body of Christ. Right? We've just seen that though the Jewish believers and those first Gentile Christians, they were first recognized as different, and yet it was the gospel that they believed and the faith that they held in common, that's what connected them together. And so too, Paul and Barnabas, they have very different gifts, and they have different perspectives, and they have different callings, and yet to the end, the scriptures tell us that they remained one in the faith and connected by a genuine love for one another. So their their parting was simply a division. It wasn't a divorce. And in the very same way, the church of the Lord Jesus, right? We are one church and we are one body and we are simply made up of different members, each of whom have different gifts and different functions and different contributions to make to the body. And if the church is going to stay consistent with both our nature and our mission, then we need to maintain that unity while we're respecting and while we're embracing and while we are promoting and while we are practicing our own beautiful diversity within the body of Christ. And then, let's let that be the thing that spills out of the church and into the world as our witness of how we're to love one another. You know, as we close this morning, when we stop and when we consider this text, I have to say I think it is significant that the Holy Spirit saw to it to record this event, not just for Christian leaders, not just for workers within the church, although it speaks a great deal to us about that, but he didn't tuck this particular incident away into the pastoral epistles, right? He didn't stick it in 1st in or 2nd Timothy. He didn't put it there in Titus. And yet he put it here right in the middle of the book of Acts because this is written as instruction to all of us as Christians, whether we're called to leadership or not called to leadership. But it's written to instruct all of us so that we will better understand how to view this kind of inevitable conflict. And I think also so that we'd understand that when we see these kinds of things happen, whether it's in the body of Christ as a whole or even within a local church body, if there's contention, even if there's some sort of separation, but to understand that there's not necessarily any right or wrong to be discovered behind it but it simply may be a matter of deeply held convictions different biblical principles god-given personalities of deeply spiritual men and women who love and who are serving the lord and to understand that and then to simply leave it with the lord and then just to watch trusting in that, that he has the grace and that he can overwhelm this and work all things together and not just that he has the power to do it but that we know that he wants to and he will do it because there will always be differences of principle and there will always be differences in personality but the important thing is to keep focused on the main thing and that's doing the will and doing the work and living out our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul and Barnabas both did here as a result. Neither one of them quit the ministry. Neither one of them took their bat and ball and went home. But as a result, there was even more work that was being accomplished for the Lord. Even this division God used and it led to multiplication. Now, as we mentioned, we're going to take communion today. And uh, again, it doesn't matter what you use. If you have grape juice and some sort of bread or an unleavened cracker, that's fantastic. But a, a dear brother told me when we did this last that he used a monster and a tortilla chip. And if that's what you have with you, then use that. Because it's not so much the elements themselves, but it's what they represent. It's that body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's the fact that based on that, we have this precious and wonderful unity as a body of Christ, as we celebrate and as we remember that. So Kissy's going to continue to minister. And we'll just let you guys, uh, you know, uh, men, lead your families in communion there at home. If you're there uh, just alone, then go ahead and just take some time with you and the Lord and consider these themes as you take communion and remember that finished work on the cross and when we're done with this next song i'll come back and we'll finish out uh, and we'll sing together and we'll go amen let's pray so father we thank you lord for this morning and we thank you for your word and the encouragement that it gives to us lord we thank you for the way that it helps us to adjust our perspective lord and to see things from your throne in heaven lord and not necessarily from um, from our carnal perspective but father we pray as we as we go to this time now of communion lord even though we are separated physically lord that you would remind us that we are united and we are together spiritually lord that there is a Uh, a precious lord a supernatural lord uh, even a a mystical unity that we share together as believers united by the blood and the broken body of jesus christ and so father we pray that you would help um, just to speak that truth now into our hearts lord remind us of these these realities um, even as we commit this time to you lord and we ask it in jesus name amen let's worship and uh, partake of communion on your own but we'll be back so don't uh, don't head to the fridge yet Amen. What a blessing that was. Uh, thank you all so much for being with us this morning. And I'm just going to pray that the Lord would really just pour out his grace upon each and every one of us this week and help us to walk in grace and to live in grace and to extend grace uh, to one another this week. So thank you, guys. And and like I said, uh, your challenge this week is to let us know how you're doing. So Bill at CCMV. Org. just reach out and drop us a line and just say hey either I'm doing great or I'm crashing and burning and I could really use some prayer or maybe you're somewhere in between but we'd love to know and we'd love to know how we can minister uh, to you so with that said I love you Lord and I lift my voice to worship you Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Amen. God bless you guys this week. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.